Twas the weekend before Christmas, and all was swell, except for the lodging one at the Lowry Hotel. Hark, the Everton faithful will sing, but will it bring a Goodison Park win? Spurs fall the North Star to Merseyside with their gaffer making all the headlines. He's up for the replacement of the Grinch. Can he pinch three points when they go toe-to-toe? Is it going to be a happy Christmas at Marco's house? Or Daniel Levy's grotto? Palace's festive fixtures prickier than a mistletoe. I'd back a Man City cracker as soon as the whistle's blown. Roy Hodgson will plod on, but there's odds on for the loss. The only chance they'll stand is City being hit by Jack Frost. Will the ghosts of Emirates past horn Sean Dyche's plight? Or can they hold the host to a silent night? Some of the tinsel has fell from Emery's tree. He'll be hoping nothing sprouts from the Southampton defeat. Will Carlos survive the nightmare before Christmas at Stamford Bridge? Or can the Foxes trot to make Sarri's stocking drop this weekend when Leicester visit? Welcome to the Man, as everyone joined by Tom Lee. Uh, on behalf of fans, I bet we hope you're having a fantastic Christmas and a lot better than Jose Mourinho. What did you make of all that, Tom? Well, it was uh, definitely a little bit of a, a shock when we uh, learned the news uh, early a couple of mornings ago. Um, was the writing on the wall probably, uh, was the style of football, I suppose, the key thing really acceptable to a club with the attacking flair tradition of Manchester United? Probably not. Nonetheless, this turmoil continues five and a half years since the departure of Sir Alex Ferguson, and they're no closer to filling the void, if you like. So, as you're well aware by now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the man who popped up with that... Uh, slightly dramatic twist to the Champions League final on the 26th of May 1999 is the interim manager. Interesting to see what he can achieve for the second half of the season. Beginning, of course, away at Cardiff on Saturday. Manchester United 4-7 to to make it a winning start for Solskjaer. 4-7, to so are United big favourites then for... Uh, they're big favourites. Uh, bear in mind, Cardiff uh, have had something of a resurgence of late. And yet, this is obviously going to uh, pose a, a rather sterner test if uh, the uh, Solskjaer effect can kick in early doors. Cardiff up to 16th, uh, those couple of victories propelling them up to 14 points, so they're still really in a dogfight. This isn't the kind of ideal first game. Although, I, I guess Solskjaer will look at this and think he's got to start somewhere. And if, of course, he can just rejuvenate those players, if he can put a bit of... Uh, bit of zest back into that front line. If he can get Lukaku running about a bit and just persuade him to try and control the ball, that would be a good start. Perhaps I would anticipate the restoration of Anthony Martial into the starting lineup. Fascinating to see what he does with Paul Pogba. And of course, Cardiff, not an opponent to be underestimated. They're 9-2, the home win. Uh, the draw just shy of 3-1. to one. Again, we talk about this so much. Maybe that's the value. As I say, United 4-7. to seven. And obviously with um, new managers coming into football clubs, we've seen with Southampton at the weekend beating Arsenal. Uh, it doesn't mean make, need to make a difference tactically just by having a different presence. And, and I think everyone can agree that United have been underperforming. So just, I think, by Jose's absence would mean that they're a big favourite from that. And in which case, do you point the finger at the manager? Do you point the finger at the players for underperforming if they can suddenly turn around? Or is it a combination of the two? I don't think the players come out of this with much credit, if we're absolutely honest. Uh, but you talk about Southampton, of course. Ralph Hassenhuttl, formerly of Red Bull Leipzig in the Bundesliga in Germany, uh, his side going away on Saturday afternoon to Huddersfield Town, only 6-4 to four suddenly. You see the, the Hassenhuttle effect taking 
taking shape, his presence on the touchline, really a very visible presence. And uh, yeah, there's money for them, six to four, the Saints, to win away and make it two from two for the new boss. And obviously they're away, they're away at Huddersfield. Huddersfield, again, are uh, looking one of the strong favourites to go down. So you're probably going to go for a Southampton win there, would you? Yeah, I think I am, because this is 19th against 17th, and yet momentum is everything. And suddenly Southampton look transformed. Players who weren't getting a sniff and looked disinterested suddenly look as if they've got life in their legs and look as if they really want to do it for the new man whereas under Mark Hughes the heads were down and the momentum was really stalling so for that reason I think Southampton 6-4 to four, it's not exactly been a fortress Huddersfield home games for them only the two victories this year in all four draws 11 defeats minus 18 the goal difference which okay Huddersfield Towns will rightly Huddersfield Town fans will rightly point out the Saints are minus 16 but of course it's a huge dynamic changer to have Hassan Huttle there pumping his fists on the touchline <laughs> it is very similar to the United decision uh, position because Southampton on paper the players did seem a lot better than the, the league position would well would you've only, look you've only got to go back to the departure of Claudio Ranieri when he departed Leicester shamefully the same group of players under Craig Shakespeare were transformed what does that tell you? I mean, that, that's a group who'd given up playing for their old boss and decided they didn't want to do that anymore. Surely, if you're privileged enough to pay to be paid to play professional football, those of us in the stands would give up a limb to be able to do that for 90 minutes, let alone for 5, 10, 15 years, to just down tools and decide they don't want to do it. And you see the, the, the divisions, I mean, particularly this, this situation with Paul Pogba at Manchester United, that ridiculous tweet that he put out <laughs> in the aftermath... Really, if there was if there was any um, justice in the world, you'd say that he ought to be sacked, dismissed, sent to the reserves, and yet, of course, player power, the money involved, uh, they can't and won't afford themselves the luxury of doing that. He'll either be restored to the team or much more likely, probably not in January, uh, but probably next May. As Roy Keane said, players have left Manchester United before. It's no big deal. Hopefully, he'll be leaving as well. Obviously, a massive commercial value to United as well as what he is on the pitch. Uh, let's look at Arsenal versus Burnley. Obviously, Arsenal got knocked out of the cup by Spurs. That's two games on the bounce for Emery. Uh, gone all season for, what, 22 games, was it, unbeaten? And now they've got to go. They've got Burnley coming. Sure. Uh, nobody expected them to get beaten at Southampton. That's of much more significance than the defeat, sorry, Spurs fans, against Tottenham Hotspur in the League Cup. Why? Well, if you look at the changes that Unai Emery chose to make midweek in that 2-0 defeat, Spurs played effectively a first-choice team. Arsenal made an absolute raft of changes. And I know they bought on some of their big guns as the game was progressing. But the game had gone away at that point, And Spurs were strong from the outset, went there to do a job on them, which they did. Um, this is of far more significance what happens in the league. Um, I always wonder about these early kickoffs because a 12-30 game, the Emirates isn't the most vocal of stadiums anyway. Uh, and you look at the way in which Sean Dyche is beginning to get things moving at Burnley. So I know you were laughing at me last week. You, you, were, you were very you, close to prediction though, weren't you? Uh, Apart from Ericsson popping up in the last minute. Um, unbelievable. Burnley were good for I a mean, draw. We're talking deep into, deep into the latter stages of the game. Burnley defending like lions, looking as if they were going to prize a point away from North London. Um, I'm not going to bore you with all the reasons again. What I am going to say is I'm going to follow up and try and get it right second time around. Arsenal 2-9 to nine off the back of two defeats, no thanks. Um, the draw just a tiny, tiny margin short of 5-1. to one. 
and Burnley 12-1 to the away win. I think it's going some to suggest they're going to get all three points. Could they get a share of the spoils? I hope so. So for that reason, stalemate for me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to go for a draw there. I think Arsenal will, despite it being a weakened team against Spurs, they will have some sort of a hangover, early morning kickoff. And Burnley were good for the draw against Southampton, so the, I think they'll be using very, sorry, against uh, Spurs, and they'll be using very similar tactics against Arsenal. Uh, so I agree with you there for a draw. Let's go to the Battle of the South Coast. Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion travelled the 40 miles down to Bournemouth. What do you reckon to that game? Tricky this, isn't it? Really, really trappy game and... and it's reflected in the betting, really, because clearly the odds, the odds compiler is looking at this thinking, well, Bournemouth home advantage, therefore they get the vote. They're 20 to 23, so just a tiny bit of odds on. Uh, the draw 5 to 2, Brighton 3 to 1. Uh, not much between these, uh, as the league table suggests. Uh, it's uh, Brighton, uh, the away team, who are 13th, going to 11th place Bournemouth. So when you look in between them, the, the, uh, the Cherries on 23 points, Brighton on 21, very little between them. For that reason, the old classic. Let's go for the draw, 5-2. to two. <laughs> uh, Obviously, with the Man United job in the summer, Eddie Howe has been one of the names that might be an outside yep. bet looking towards that. And I know we're both um, big Eddie Howe fans in mm-hmm. terms of the way he plays football. Too big a step for him to suggest that he could actually get the job in the summer? Nope. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge admirer. I like the way he goes about his business. Not just the way he arranges his team and the way he gets, with limited resources, great results but also just absolutely adore the way he handles himself in public. And I know people always screech when you say this and say, oh, but he was a disaster at Burnley. So what? That was one limited time window where, granted a fair sample to really show what he can do, look at the way he's got his team set up and playing. And the games that they can win, they inevitably get results. And okay, they've had some reverses recently. Uh, Arsenal went down there and burgled the three points. They they weren't quite good enough at Manchester City, losing 3-1. Liverpool hammered them, etc. But in between times, where they've needed to capitalise on their openings, they've done it beating Huddersfield 2-1. You see the way that they they got some some good results a little bit earlier in the autumn months as well. And also bear in mind that just this, this style of football, it's not just pragmatism and needless parking of a bus. How actually gets his gets his players really, really motoring and likes to commit men forward and get the ball wide. So that's very good to watch. For that reason, United must at least have half an eye on him. I imagine it depends on the Pochettino situation. Uh, let's look at Man City versus Crystal Palace. Can't be anything except for a City win here. Obviously, Palace had a great result the other week. Without, I think it was the first win without Zaha. With or without Zaha, I can't see it making much of a difference. <laughs> yeah, I think if we're realistic... Uh, the way Manchester City are playing and uh, I know they're not top but that's a bit of an anomaly really um, the quality and the style the swagger and the flair with which they're playing and the depth frankly the squad if you look at that I think if Crystal Palace turn up with 11 Zahas from <laughs> literally yeah. up and down the pitch they still won't probably have enough here unfortunately so 1-8 to eight Manchester City uh, forget the rest <laughs> uh, Newcastle United versus Fulham this is the, these are the sort of games that Ranieri's got to be winning, doesn't he, to try and have any hope. Obviously, I think it's the team that is bottom of the league when it comes to Christmas Day, tends to be the ones that go down, so they'll be wanting to try and get free before the big day. Dearie me. Um, where do I even begin? 17 played, only nine points gained. Uh, three of those have come from draws, so just the two victories. Uh, the goal difference is a mess. Uh, minus 26, so... That's comfortably the worst in the section. Um, Newcastle have hardly covered themselves in glory, only the four victories. Um, They too have a negative goal difference, but literally a third of the one displayed by Fulham. And they've got home advantage. So when you work through that, it makes fairly 
apparent sense to be looking towards the home victory for the coupon. Um, Newcastle, uh, even money, which I'm a little surprised actually because I was expecting that to be five to six. Are you sure? That sounds like a bit of value. Um, just shy of five to two, the draw. Fulham, just shy of three to one. 14 to five, they are. Um, I don't think this is going to be attractive and a, and a, a festival of free flowing, beautiful football. What I do think it is, is a nice chance to uh, uh, reap the fat of the land, which is even money, Newcastle home win. And there's definitely going to be goals in it when you look at both the um, the goal differences. It'll either be a nil-nil or a, fr- or a thriller, I think. It might not be easy on the eye, but there could be a few goals. Well, just to update you, in, in the 17 match days so far between them, They've managed to concede, not score, concede 64 goals. Make of that what you will. <laughs> Keep an eye on that one at the weekend. West Ham versus Watford. West Ham are playing really well. Chikorito is not a player, is a player that I would like to see back at Man United on current form. And they're visiting Watford that started the season really well and just seemed to be falling off the pace a bit. Uh, West Ham at home to Watford, yep. don't forget. Sorry. That, that way round. Um, ninth against tenth. Um, as you say... There is literally you can you can barely separate these two like a the width of a fine coat of paint. Um, the pair of them locked together on twenty four points. Uh, West Ham scored twenty five, conceded twenty five. Uh, the Hornets, the only difference, they've also conceded twenty five, but they've scored twenty three. So minus two goal difference compared to zero. Seven wins, three draws. The pair seven defeats. Where do you even go with that? Probably on recent form, West Ham. 13 to 10, that little bit of home advantage. Send the fans home happy, at least until Boxing Day. 13 to 10, the Hammers, just. <laughs> yeah, I back the Hammers on that one. And then lastly on Saturday, Chelsea against Leicester City. And obviously Chelsea went through in the cup during the week and Leicester went out. Do you think that'll be uh, indicative of what the performances will be like on Saturday? I can't see Leicester getting there or getting any points. Uh, Leicester a good side on their day. I mean, let's not forget that Chelsea... They're hard to weigh up because some weeks they look pedestrian and some weeks they look absolutely fantastic. I know City had a lot of the ball, but Chelsea did a job on them when they beat them on Saturday the 8th of December. That that 2-0, they took their opportunities and of course magically they didn't manage to concede. And yet the week before, they went to Wolves and contrived to get beat against an out-of-form team. So Chelsea in and out, um, Leicester even more so, uh, fourth against 12th this Leicester seem to have been a bit of everything because they're sitting on exactly uh, zero goal difference. Um, that defeat at Palace preceded by Tottenham going there and winning 2-0. Then they couldn't break down Fulham. That's the result that bothers me really because you'd think that with Fulham getting a hiding off pretty much everyone at the moment, they're drawing too many games and they're losing too many games. So their form's dropped off. So I guess the, the natural order is that Chelsea really ought to be taking three points here. It was an interesting team selection midweek, though. Um, obviously, Jamie Vardy got uh, got rested, didn't make the subs bench. So, obviously, Puel's have got a, an eye on over the festive fixtures. I think the point as well, don't forget that we were discussing this last week. You've got this cluster of teams that we were talking about from, from 14th down. But if you want to extend that a little bit and say that Leicester City are on 22 points, so that above the drop zone is only 10 points. Burnley will get a spurt on the magic of Deitch. I'm not sure I've ever mentioned this before on the 12th. No, no, for... um, <laughs> Huddersfield, perhaps Wagner can get them going again. We'll see what they do this weekend, as we've already discussed. Fulham look dangerously short at the moment. You'd, you'd be worrying about the, the petrol light is flickering on empty for them at this stage. So of that cluster of teams, Southampton with Hassenhuttle, can they get going? Qu- likely. Cardiff City with Warnock. 
always going to be a bogey for teams. Crystal Palace, loads of flair there. We've seen it. They got going again last season. Newcastle under Rafa, always capable of grinding out those results. Brighton, attractive team to watch. I think they'll have enough. So maybe if you were looking for an outsider who can get dragged downwards rather than suddenly accelerate, is it Leicester City, one of those who actually from 12th could suddenly find themselves 16th thinking... Not sure I fancy this very much. We're going into, let's say, middle of February. The pitches are still still a bit soggy and, and draining on the legs. Momentum's momentum's absolutely petered out. Okay start to the season has become a bleak winter. Not many points accrued. It might be a complete fantasy, this, but they could well get sucked downwards. So I'd be just a shade concern for the Foxes fans there because it's been just an okay season so far, no more. And obviously there was question marks over Puel's, um, I think remember before United started, there was rumours that he was going to be for the chop, wasn't there? So you could see that, obviously with a couple of results into the new year that hasn't gone their way, managerial changes, could, could we expect, do you think we'll see Big Sam this season before uh, for any relegation battles? Well, I tell you what, people like to, to mock and to point fingers, but the man's an operator who does jobs, so the likes of, maybe Leicester, but I'm looking at Huddersfield now as well. If if they continue to flirt with danger as they are doing right now, perhaps those are the kind of names where the big man could come in and, and work his unique blend of magic. And before the other big man arrives on the 25th of December, we've got Everton versus Spurs on Sunday. Uh, Everton at home. Uh, last last couple of games, Everton against Man City wasn't really expecting a result. The Watford game, they were lucky in the last couple of minutes to get a draw. Do you see them? Have they got anything? Have they got enough to get anything against Spurs? No, Silvers Everton are a good team, a good team, and consistently underrated. It's very strange that the bookmakers as well don't seem to give them the little bit of credit they deserve, in my opinion. Um, so nine to four Everton uh, as a uh, as a home proposition certainly won't be without its takers. Twenty three to ten the draw. So that's broadly speaking a very similar price. Spurs maybe a tad short, five to four away from home. Um, they've had a string of quite tough games. It's not as if they've rested players in the League Cup. They've gone about it the other way and actually used that as a platform to kick on and get one over Arsenal. So could there be potentially a little bit of a fatigue in the legs? We'll see. Um, even so, Everton riding, if not high, then respectable in eighth. Uh, Spurs sitting in third there with 39 points. But Everton at home, very, very tough place to go. This go back through some of those results. I mean, they played well in spells against City. Um, it was a bit of everything, that 2-2 draw on the Monday night with Watford. Um, they threw away a great opportunity to win against Newcastle. They should have got a point at Anfield. And prior to that, they saw off Cardiff. So what they do do is draw quite a lot of games. You look through that little list there. A draw against Chelsea, a draw against Newcastle, a draw against Watford. This might very well be shared spoils, which probably long enough trip for Spurs off the off the back of a, a long schedule maybe at 23 to 10 the stalemate could be the way to go what do you think? Yeah I completely agree with you Spurs have had some massive games obviously the Barcelona game uh, the midweek game against Arsenal uh, and then this game at Everton I'm going to go for a draw on this one as well uh, and let's move over to the continent. Obviously, Mr. La Liga, also known as Tom Lee or Lally. <laughs> um, what do you, so what have you got for us this week in La Liga? So just to bring you up to speed, uh, Barcelona will be top at Christmas. Bear in mind, they do have their winter break. So they jump from the 17th match day, which is played across Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend. Then they hop on. They miss a weekend, effectively. So they've got the, the Christmas New Year break. And they return on and around the 4th of January. So Barcelona will be top. The reason being, although Sevilla and Atletico Madrid can both 
catch up their redeem their points total what they can't do unless something truly extraordinary happens and one of them wins 14-0 uh, <laughs> is go past Barcelona's goal difference which at plus 27 is absolutely miles ahead in a, in a division where all but seven teams uh, or uh, all but eight teams I should say have got minus goal difference amazingly so wow. you see this big gap between the top and the bottom being emphasised there basically Barcelona top with 34 points uh, the minnows of Huesca promoted last May down the bottom with only eight points. Um, standout bets this match day. I think what's really eye-catching of recent weeks, uh, midday Saturday, uh, Real Betis against Eibar uh, down in Seville in Andalusia. Uh, Betis 5-6 to six for the home win. They're starting to get going now. For whatever reason, Kike Setien's team just took a bit of time to, to find their feet this season. They were tipped up to be the big flair team, the big entertainers. And yet they started off with a couple of defeats and everybody sort of shook their heads and said, hang on a minute, have we been sold a kipper here? Is this really a sort of a, we've looked under the sauce and there's no pasta there. But they're getting going now, Betis. Uh, seven wins, four draws. Uh, they are one of those teams with the positive goal difference. And for example, emphasised by the fact that they had the audacity a few weeks ago to go to the new Camp and beat Barcelona 4-3 in a crazy game. So they're at home to Eibar, who themselves are a real bogey team, but particularly at home, uh, the Iperua, but away from home, not so convincing. Five to six, Betis, I think, is intriguing. Um, also note, when you look at the league table, Barcelona leads, Sevilla second, uh, third Atletico Madrid, who, without being particularly dynamic and expansive just yet, continue to grind out results. Fourth, look at this, Real Madrid, who by their standards are having a, a, an absolutely horrendous season. I mean, an apocalyptic yep. season. Um, five defeats, two draws, only plus five goal difference. However, still five points off for a him. terrible season. Here they are lurking behind Barcelona. If they could just find a bit of rhythm, and they got booed off in a one-nil home victory last weekend. Um, the crowd just saying that's nowhere near the required standard. Come on, go out there and play for the shirt. And all that considered, they're still five points behind. So don't think that actually in the new year, if Santi Solari is replaced with somebody else, hello, I was going to suggest that. Then maybe, just maybe, something remarkable is going to happen. Maybe it's not a vintage season. Maybe actually they've been they've been tricking us all along. Uh, however, they go away to Villarreal. They're five to six to win on current form. Don't touch them with a barge pole. Uh, to go with Betis. How's about this? A, a City of Seville weekend double for you because Betis five to six to win at home. Uh, Sevilla sitting in second uh, with their nine victories and their plus thirteen goal difference. Uh, go away to Leganes. Uh, who are 16th. Leganes are a fair side and are not easy to beat at home, but they lost their manager during the summer break and results have been in and out. You wouldn't expect them to be a lot higher than 16th, but you also wouldn't uh, expect them to get too much change out of a fit and firing Sevilla, uh, who at least uh, momentarily could find their way to back towards the uh, the top of the table. By the time they play on Sunday, we'll know that Barcelona most likely will have beaten Celta Vigo on Saturday afternoon. So this would take the lead back to three points rather than the six. It will be temporarily, but that's a nice double. Severe 13 to 10 away from home. Betis 5 to 6 at home. Stick that one in a blender and you've got yourself a nice double in La Liga for the weekend. <laughs> Are you still standing by your prediction of Atletico Madrid going for the league? Yes, I am. And I'll tell you why, because really they, as ever, 
are very, very difficult to beat. I mean, seriously difficult to beat. This is one one aggressive, obdurate, tricky, hard team to play against. They don't let in many goals. Indeed, they've only conceded 12, which is the same amount as Hetafe, who are down in seventh, having an excellent season. Uh, but those two aside are the meanest defences in La Liga. If they could just get Diego Costa really, really at his spiky best without picking up too many bookings or red cards, if they can get enough of the ball to Griezmann, if they can keep the defence strong, they're letting Lucas Hernandez go, interestingly, in the window to Bayern Munich, but that'll bring in big money, 85 million euros. Whatever, whatever changes in the middle of defence, Thomas Partey playing great in the middle of midfield and always the giant Czech Oblak in goal. So they don't let in many. They keep finding a way to get the job done. The big problem, I think, with Atletico, for anybody who really watches them closely, the, the Champions League final this season is going to be in their Metropolitano Stadium. There's something bordering on an obsession within the club that they try and get through to the final. They're probably not quite good enough to win a Champions League right now. They are good enough to win La Liga. And maybe the reason they won't win it, if we are to be kneecapped, is that they're just so, so much obsessed and, and, and driven towards trying to win this Champions League that they might take their eye off the ball at a crucial stage in La Liga. However, expect them to be right there on the coattails of Barcelona or Sevilla uh, come March, come April. If they are... Don't bet against them. They're definitely the value bet. So Atleti all the way for me. Keep it, keep it red and white. Uh, just to throw in, Barcelona one to four. So you ain't, you're going to need deep pockets to, to maximise the potential there. Uh, Real Madrid, amazingly, despite the fact that they're not second or third, they're fourth. A second favourites at six to one. Make of that what you will. Atletico Madrid, for all the reasons just given, they remain the great value bet at seven to one. Uh, so that to me makes huge. Uh, and just before we move on to the horse racing, I just wanted to get your opinion on, uh, obviously, Solskjaer's coming at United uh, as the managerial for the interim. Lots of names that are being touted. Obviously, Pochettino, I think, would be the favourite. Names like Simeone, Eddie Howe, who we touched on. Are there any other names propping up that you could see potentially going to United? I, I just can't see anybody outside of Pochettino. I don't see where they go. Zidane doesn't speak English. Well, I, I guess suck it and see because certainly Solskjaer will uh, stand or fall by what he achieves and how he unites this group of players and the style of football he produces and how they respond to his urgings on the training ground because some might say that for all that he's a club legend, has he got the gravitas, gravitas and the authority to actually command the respect of a group of pampered millionaires who seem to have turned it in under Mourinho. We'll see. So Solskjaer, second favourite alongside Zinedine Zidane. You mentioned the language barrier right now. Maybe, maybe he's sitting in his bunker in Marseille or in Madrid or wherever he happens to be right now, uh, rubbing his handsome bald head, furiously trying to, work, to, uh, to learn a few words of English. Because, uh, by the way, I know this is slightly off topic, but have you ever seen a man with hair look that much better without it. It's as if he was born to have no hair. The most, what the, the, the handsome figure on the touchline. Can you imagine with, with a bad barnet when you, see, <laughs> when you see what a sculpted, statuesque figure he is nowadays? Someone, so, should have, Bobby, someone should have told Bobby Charlton years ago that that was the case. Well, I'm, I'm banking on it being true for me. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> Pochettino favourite. Solskjaer, uh, in and around second favourite. Zidane, same comments apply. Then you're talking about the likes of Massimiliano Allegri. 
Try and say that one after a couple of ciders <laughs> with your false teeth in. Uh, Laurent Blanc, pl- plenty of people saying last week that he could make a, a return to Old Trafford, given that for all that when he arrived in 2001, he was probably past his best, but his influence and impact at the club cannot be understated. Uh, Antonio Conte, no thanks. Nope. Um, Eddie Howe will be a nice price. He's going to be somewhere in the region of 12, 16 to 1. And then you're getting into the, the, the outsiders, the likes of Simeone, who seems to be doing a fantastic job and for all that there's been committed talk of him leaving Atleti before, seems to have got going again there now. Uh, Jardim, Leonardo Jardim, and then I think the others really, we're talking back to the future here because the likes of Arsene Wenger, he could very well have been a caretaker, permanent, I don't think so. Carlo Ancelotti, pigs might fly. So those are the names in the hat. As a United fan, is there anyone outside of Pochettino that you'd like to see there? Oh, going back to what we said earlier in this conversation, Eddie Howe all the way for me, please. Really? And one other name who I really ought to throw in. say Sean Dyche. Well, look, it's Christmas time. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all men. He was a very good boy this year. Especially (laughs) Sean Dyche, who really, I mean, just imagine the uproar if if the great man Dyche got the United job. I would buy a season ticket and I'd pay up front for the next two decades. <laughs> Give him the job, Ed, Edward would, please. He can't be any worse than David Moyes, that's for sure. Uh, keep an eye out on that. I'm sure it's going to be an exciting six months towards who's going to get the Man United job. Now, over to the horse racing. We've got some fantastic races over the Christmas period, Tom. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll be heading over the pond, actually, to Ireland for uh, the big four days at Leopardstown races, 26th through the 29th. Uh, some very significant action there in Limerick in Ireland. But the 26th, Boxing Day, St. Stephen's Day, call it what you will, depending on where you're listening, um, is a massive day for racing in the UK and Ireland. Meetings left, right and centre. So many choices. Um, The one race I really want to touch on, and it looks like a race for the ages, uh, Kempton Park on the 26th, uh, the King George VI steeplechase, which is a grade one. So none of this debate you and I have been no handicaps correct well done you're learning yeah. proud of you <laughs> after all these weeks and, and lots of <laughs> lots of slightly turbulent football bets I've actually got something to sink in and penetrate this sculpted exterior of Dave Scott um, King George VI chase uh, basically it's it's if you will the second part of a three part series any horse who wins at Haydock Park the big race the Lancashire chase that we talked about in November a few weeks ago yep. wins that uh, this race, uh, the King George VI, and goes on to Cheltenham and wins the Gold Cup. It's an almost undoable treble. And yet, any horse who can do that uh, is eligible for a million-pound bonus. So the horse that won at Haydock is Bristol Demai for Nigel Twiston Davis. Um, he's there, along with probably, as it stands, all four horses that he beat at Haydock. So we've got a Haydock rematch. Um, but you have to remember that Kempton Park is very different from Haydock. It's the other way around. They're racing to their right as opposed to their left. The emphasis is very much on speed, whereas at Cheltenham in March, it will be more about the stamina horses and the power play, who's got the legs to go up the hill over an extra quarter of a mile. But over a fast, flat three miles going right-handed at Kempton Park, this is an intriguing race. Names in the hat, Mike Bite, uh, who was my selection for the race at Haydock, and he performed woefully. He was 
completely out of sorts. They said afterwards that the big, the great big fences, they'd modified the fences and made them really quite intimidating that day. Uh, that was really sort of cited as the reason why. Um, Bristol Demai had no such problems. He charged home in front. They were worried about the ground that day for him, but he proved that good ground is just as suitable for him as heavy ground. Uh, you had Native River, last year's Gold Cup winner. He was second. His stable mate, Thistlecrack, who was third. And also a young horse of Paul Nichols, Clandis Oboe, uh, who was uh, placed that, well, fourth that day. Ran a, ran a nice sort of a race without quite being on the premises. Uh, he's most likely going to be at Kempton Park as well. So the way it stacks up, and I should just stress, if you're listening to this any time after we're recording, these prices can and will change. So uh, don't shoot me if I'm saying that Mike Bike currently is 11-4 to 4 and on the day he's... Nine to four, for example, that's the nature of it, that as the market adjusts, as the declarations are made, uh, we'll learn more. But Mike Bite, 11 to four. Um, five to one, waiting patiently. I'll come back to him because there's a potential fairy tale story there. Uh, Politologue, uh, who steps up in distance, having won at Sandown Park last time, intriguing runner for the Paul Nichols stable. Uh, Bristol Demite, the Haydock winner, looking for that million pound bonus. He's seven to one. Uh, Thistlecrack, uh, who was absolutely stunning when he won this race two years ago but has mainly been injured since also seven to one uh, native river who won the gold cup big player look out for him seven to one and then clandes obo who i mentioned who ran a nice cameo in that race at haydock park is 16 to one so if they all turn up in one piece fit and firing fireworks will, will go off because something has to give uh, might bite he might bounce back politologue if the stamina holds out as he goes up in distance, Bristol to my, is he as good when he's not a fresh horse first time out, going the other way round on a different track? He loves Haydock, but does he love Kempton? Thistlecrack, is he quite as good as he was? Is his jumping going to let him down? He was a star hurdler, and, and the little bit of form we have got with him over fences is majestic, but up against the big boys... Maybe he's going to make an error or two that could cost him. Native River, well, we don't see him too often, but he's all about street fighting. He's a brawler. He just The further it goes and the harder it gets, the better he becomes. So look out for him. Sounds like my sort of horse. And Clandes Oboe, who um, he's actually younger than the majority of these and could be one who actually improves beyond a couple of them and surprises a few people. Um, and then, the one I said I wanted to come back to, the potential fairy tale. Um, last year... A Yorkshire trainer, Malcolm Jefferson, passed away after a long battle with illness. Um, when he was effectively no longer able to sort of take care of the day-to-day -day running of the stable, he handed on most of the duties to his daughter, Ruth, and she's now actually assumed a full running of the Malcolm Jefferson stable. So, if you like, it's a sort of a passing of the, the candle from generation to generation. He was much respected. He was really a top, top man and a very good guy to go with it. And now he's got his daughter who's making a really good fist of trying to keep the, the flame burning, if you like. And their star horse is called Waiting Patiently. And actually, his funeral in February, the very next day, Waiting Patiently went to Ascot and ran in a grade one race and won. So he hasn't raced since. All six times that he's run over fences, he's won. So this is number seven. He's got an ace northern jockey on board, an Irishman, Brian Hughes, who's absolute magician in the saddle. So you say, is he going to be that good first time out after a layoff? Is Kempton Park going to suit him? He's been there and won there over hurdles before. Uh, or are these big guns, these giants of the division, the likes of Mike Bite, Thistlecrack, Native River, Bristol Demai, are they going to beat him up on one of the southern tracks? So the emotional vote 
says waiting patiently. I think the roof will come off the place if he wins for so many reasons because Malcolm Jefferson, much loved by the racing fraternity. And if that's the sort of the emotional bet with the heart, I think the bet with the head is the one that you mentioned before. Seven to one, Native River, hard as nails, second at Haydock. But the further it goes and the more attritional it becomes, any race with him involved in sees him as a real danger. So I'd be surprised if he's not good enough at least to be in the first three. He'll probably win. Is that who you're going to back yourself then, Tom? Seven to one, Native River. Well, that looks like a fantastic race. Anything else to add for the weekend or is that... So at the moment, as we're recording Thursday, we don't know the final figures for... Uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the last men standing, if you like, as we go into this weekend. So, no, I'm going to keep my powder dry. I'll keep the, um, the mince pies stashed safely away for the celebration uh, for the 26th. Uh, you'll be able to watch it on TV or you'll be able to watch it online, I'm sure. Uh, but whatever you're doing, take five minutes out and watch the King George at Kempton Park, Native River. As ever, Tom, thank you very much. Uh, on behalf of fans, better wish you a happy Christmas and we'll be back in the new year. Um, uh, when I will be aiming to pull a cracker and have a chat with Dave Scott. <laughs> All the best. Cheers, man. I shall sort that edit today.